The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to our post-Labor Day episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Based on what I'm seeing on Facebook, or at least for the past couple of weeks, the last few holdouts are finally back in school. Uh, And we can officially say, and certainly based on what's going on in the college coach offices, we can officially say that application season is in full swing, which means you are in the right place because we are all about college applications and everything surrounding that process here. Uh, I'm really excited today. We're going to welcome back Jake Newberg from Revolution Prep, uh, which is the test prep organization that most of my families use. And he's going to share what he knows about the new PSAT, which will make its debut this October in advance of the new SAT's arrival uh, in 2016. We're also going to discuss searching for scholarships, but this time from the perspective of students who are already in college, which you don't usually think about, right? You think about looking for scholarships when you're going to be applying and then entering as a freshman. But um, believe it or not, there's there are scholarships you can search for where you're already in college. But before we get to either of those, um, we're going to continue our ongoing series on how to think about and approach writing responses to some of the different colleges' supplemental essays. And if you've checked into the Common App lately, added any schools, you'll see that some schools have no writing requirements, and then there are schools with an incredible number of writing requirements. And Today we're talking about one of those, and that is Wake Forest. And here to walk us through that is former Georgetown admissions officer and my current Virginia-based colleague and friend, Karen Spencer. Hi, Karen. Beth. Now, you are out there in Virginia, or down there in Virginia, I should say. I'm up here in Massachusetts, and I think you're really perfect to talk to us about this because, if I'm not wrong, you have a lot of kids apply to Wake Forest every year. Ton of kids. I think say outside of UVA and maybe Virginia Tech, it's probably the third most common schools my students apply to because it's just right there down in North Carolina. You can be there in about four hours from DC. So um, it is a super popular choice. Um, also because it's one of the few schools that has like a big rah rah spirit and is medium sized. That's a really hard combo to find, and so that's a really appealing option for a lot of students. Gotcha. And, and I will say that actually up here, it's a pretty appealing option, too. I, most of my students will at least take a look at it, or not all, but those that are looking at schools of that caliber, it usually appears on the list at some point. So um, you and I have both had to help students tackle what can feel a little like a very formidable supplement. And in fact, there are six additional To say there are six additional essays is a little, it's accurate, but it's also a little inaccurate because I think it conjures up images of students writing six full page essays and it's not that. 
Um, but why don't we start with the very first one? Um, and the prompt there is list five books you have read with authors that piqued your interest and discuss an idea from one of these works that influenced you. And um, what's really important, and I want listeners to make sure they, they remember, is that each one of these prompts has its own length. And this one is 100 to 300 words. Uh, and this is actually the longest of all of the um, pieces that Wake asks you to write. So let's start with, the, with that one, Karen, and, and what's the first thing you talk to students about with this prompt? So let me answer that, too, but let me go back to something you actually said first, too, which is actually why I like Wake Forest prompts. Like you said, there's a lot of prompts on here, but what I actually really like about their supplement is for, oh, I like it for a few reasons. One, most of these essays are pretty short. So as you yep. mentioned, a lot of these are like 75 to 150 words. They're very specific questions, and they loan themselves to very personal answers. So I actually really like these. And I will say that when I tell my students um, that there are six, you know, these additional things, they kind of grimace. But I have to say most of them don't mind writing them. Um, I think they're good and helpful parameters for students in this format. And so in general speaking, I will say most of my students later on were like, oh, yeah, those weren't so bad. So um, let me just piggyback on that comment. Um, In terms of, you know, the piqued your curiosity question, I think one of the key things with many of the questions on this, and frankly, any essay prompt, is to make sure you read the question, right? So what it says is, here's piqued your curiosity. It doesn't say liked, okay? And I think a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm going to pick my favorite books and talk about one of them. Unless that's really what the question asked. Um, it maybe end up being like that. But really, you've got to think about um, something, a, a book that, again, piqued your curiosity. You might have hated it. It still could pique your curiosity. Um, so I once had someone write about Of Mice and Men. I've actually had that come up quite a few times. It comes up on the UVA prompt quite a bit as well. Um, and the idea, if those of you who haven't read Of Mice and Men at the end of the book, um, one of, uh, one, there's two friends in the book, and one of them kills the other one at the end of the book because he knows he's going to meet a worse fate if he doesn't do it. And I've had a lot of students write about this, and it's um, not because they, they even love the book, um, but because it really made them think differently about, okay, would I have done the same thing in a similar circumstances? Would I have you know, essentially, you know, I'm sorry to be graphic, but shot my friend because I knew this was the best option he had. Um, And so I think that is a good way of looking at it is it's not just that you liked it, you might have, but really what kind of unsettled you? Did you read something that really unsettled you and kind of pick that focus to go with? I would say that's really where you want to really think about here where the prompt is really important. Yeah, and the the only other thing I would add to that is that when you're thinking about these five books, And I would extend this to any place that you apply that asks a similar question about, tell us about what you read. Don't feel that it all has to be serious and it all has to be books you've read for school. Uh, I encourage my students, this is a great way to show your personality. So if you like to combine some really interesting reading that maybe your teachers would approve of with some stuff that like the Twilight series, maybe that's a bad example, but um, don't be afraid to, to show that side of your personality and don't feel like everything you do for your college applications has to be ultra serious. Totally um, agree. All right. So let's go on to number two. Uh, and this prompt is what we want to know what makes you tick intellectually, a paper, a project, an academic passion, describe it. And they give you 75 to 150 words. 
So, again, I think, again, the term here is intellectually, right? This is your opportunity to hear, for the admissions officer to hear what you've enjoyed about high school or even intellectually perhaps elsewhere if you you do outside work that perhaps you want to address here. You know, I think in, in high school you don't have as much flexibility, right? You don't get to pick a lot of what you take. But what mm-hmm. if what you took really inspired you? Um, did you find discussing Stalin fascinating in your world history class or your U.S. history class? Did you read, do you read historical fiction because it helps you bring history to life? Um, do you love to give a good speech and you can't fathom why people are scared of public speaking? Um, do you love a good debate in class? Do you love being devil's advocate just to see what the other side says? Um, I think this is a real opportunity, again, and this is why I like these prompts, to give a little nugget about how you tick, right? And so this is, there are other questions in here that are about the rest of your, your world, right? This is the one about your academic world, intellectually. And again, it doesn't necessarily have to be about what you've done in high school, although I think that's generally where students will probably take this. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you want to think really broadly here. What really inspires you? What, where have you been in high school or what are you reading outside um, that has really in, in inspired you intellectually and um, kind of gets you motivated to want to do more of it? Right. And bottom line, it's intellectually. Make sure that that, you've got that focus on this one. All right. The next one is definitely not, well, I shouldn't say definitely. It could be intellectual, but uh, the next one is definitely for this group of young people, and it would mean very little to some adults. And and it is. (laughs) Um, And I'll be honest and embarrass the heck out of myself and say that I did not know until a couple of months ago that, like, you could click on a hashtag and... It would take you to other things related to that. I have but we'll no set idea that either. aside. Okay, so we'll set that aside for a minute. Prompt <laughs> three is hashtags trend worldwide. Give us a hashtag you wish were trending. And they have the hashtag sig- symbol and a line. And then, of course, why. And for this one, they give you 75 to 150 words again. So, again, this is something you care about, although it doesn't have to be super serious. It can mm-hmm. be, right? You could have hashtag please don't stop the music and you could talk about how it's terrible that they're cutting funding to the music program in your county, right? Yep. You could yep. go that direction um, and why, why you're really opposed to that. But it could also be something a little bit more um, or lighthearted, right? Maybe mm-hmm. it's about a fashion trend you'd like to see come to an end. Um, you know, hashtag no more skinny jeans, right? If, right? if you can write about it in a witty way, it can work. If you can't, don't try, right? You right. need to know about, you know, and why do you pick this, right? It should be something that you personally um, think, but again, it doesn't have to be super serious. It can be, but you could take this really in either direction. The point is they're just trying to learn, again, a little morsel about what you feel strongly about. Yep. I always tell students one of the big points of these types of supplements, for me anyway, is to help the admissions committee understand more of who you are when you're around the people who know you best, so whoever that person is, I want to see that person come out in these pieces. Yeah, um, perfect. Easier said than done, but <laughs> all exactly. right. Number four, uh, give us your top 10 list. And each uh, item on the list can be only a maximum of 85 characters. That's key, not words, but characters. What do and you tell kids about this because one? Because it comes with no directions, yep. right? It doesn't say your top 10, what, like it just says your top 10 and... and Students are always like, my top 10 what? And I was yep. like, well, that's for you to Whatever you want it to, to be, them. right? <laughs> um, and so I do think that the fact that this one does have less parameters throws students a bit. 
Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think you want to think about maybe go a little bit more outside the box. Maybe your in, your first instinct is maybe not always the best one on this one. Um, you know, I think top ten things that make me happy, right? Well, mm-hmm. okay, maybe, but you know, is is this something that somebody else is, could have filled out? Right? I had yep. well, one of the best and most unique ways I saw some one of my students fill this out. Um, he wanted to be a realtor really badly. It's the only kids in my office who's ever said that to me, but he loved real estate and his top ten. Re- or his top 10 were the 10 most underappreciated zip codes in Maryland for buying a house. Ah, and I, I thought, that. okay, I guarantee nobody else wrote that down. Um, yep. And it reflects a real interest of yours. It reflects where you live. Um, and so, um, and then he put um, one word. So he, you know, I'd put, you know, 49613 and then put, you know, great school district or some, you know, whatever it may be. And um, mm-hmm. so I think that was a really unusual and fun way of doing it. Uh, but you can go, you know, any way with that, but just make sure it's really unique to you and really nobody else probably could have put that top 10 out there. Exactly. So happy, generally, we don't really want to hear about that. Top 10 real estate codes. I love that, by the way. I may be stealing that and sharing that example with others. So good one. Um, and did he get in? He did. All right. Awesome. Uh, so n- the next one, and then we have to hurry because I know we want to get to the last one, which is the one that gives people the most trouble. But the next one is this. There's a nationwide dialogue about cross-cultural interactions. Like most college campuses, Wake Forest is currently in a place of conversation about what it means to engage across difference. As a country, why do you think we have reached this point? And they give you, again, 750, I'm sorry, 75 to 150 words for this one. So I think, you know, the obvious place most students are going to take this is, is talking about race. Um, but I do think it could be talking about a lot of things. It could be talking mm-hmm. about, um, you know, gay rights. It could be talking about um, hate crimes toward Muslims. You know, I think this is really an opportunity to talk about why we aren't very good about civil discourse in this country on occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And I think the other thing is, you know, there was a Gallup poll the other day um, that said out of all the, you know, what is the most pressing matters in the United States? And the number one thing that came up was race relations. And mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting question. You know, in 2015, how is this still our biggest concern, right? 150 mm-hmm. years after the Civil War, this is still considered the number one problem by many people, right? How, how, how are we still here, um, right. I think, is really what they're asking. Yeah, and I do, I, I want to second what you were saying, that this doesn't have to be about race. It doesn't have to be about, it has to be something about difference. And difference yeah. can be defined in many ways. And if you are uncomfortable writing about some of those bigger issues, and for some students, it is hard to write about something that they may not have been all that engaged in themselves may not really be paying attention. First of all, for Wake Forest, I do think you probably need to pay a little bit closer attention to current events and for all colleges, in fact. Get out there, read the newspaper. You may start to get these kinds of questions in interview situations. Um, but don't necessarily feel that you always have to go there uh, yeah, if, if, that's, you know, if that's not what you want to do. All right, number six, the one that gives your kids fits, certainly gives my kids fits, something that we talk about a lot in our back and forth at College Coach, and that is what outrages you and why? And they give you, again, 75 to 150 words here. So this one is the one most kids fall down on. Um, and for a few, they go in kind of one of two directions, and both of which are mistakes. <laughs> so <laughs> one is, on one hand, sometimes they tend to pick something kind of silly, right? Again, mm-hmm. read, the wor- read the question, right? The, the term is outrage. That's a strong word. Right? This, isn't, this is not what annoys you. This is not what bugs you. This outrages you. It's yes. a big word. Think about it. 
right? I once had a kid write down about how his brother didn't flush the toilet. I was like, <laughs> outraged and like annoying, yes. Disgusting, yes. yes. Is this really what makes you outraged? Probably not so much. And if it does, I'm thrilled with you and your little bubble that this is the biggest problem. <laughs> right, <laughs> This is exactly. the biggest thing that concerns you. Um, you know, I think the second thing to keep here is know your audience or rather realize you don't know your audience. Right? Mm-hmm. Good advice in general, but if you pick something like, let's say, guns or abortion or anything political, you chance that the reader has a vastly different opinion on this subject, okay? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you can't voice your opinion, but be careful about your tone, right? Yep. And this really leads into where most people get into the most trouble. Um, and I think the people get outraged in their essay. <laughs> they're, they, they have the opposite problem of, of picking something too glib is they come off as kind of bitter and judgmental and super angry about it, right? And yep. the person reading this is going to be like, great, we have a future Ted Kaczynski on our hands here, right? <laughs> right. It, it can outrage you in, 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 you know, in reality, but you need to voice your outrage in a controlled way, right? Avoid huge sweeping statements. You know, all people people who think global warming isn't real are idiots, right? I had somebody write that. I'm like, you can't write that. I'm like, you may think that, but you can't write that, right? That doesn't make them look bad. It makes you look bad, right? So you need to write about this in an even way um, so that we understand where you're coming from and that you, that, you know, where, how you've gotten to this point, but you have to be careful not to come off again as kind of angry, bitter, or really enraged. Right. Very strident is another word that strident comes to mind. Word. Yeah. You just, it, this is a place for, it's exactly what you just said. This is, college is a place for discourse for sure. And maybe for people to get excited about ideas and express them in an excited way. But there's a line between being excited and being uh, just unhinged. So you want to watch out for that. Um, This is really great. I think this is really great advice for anybody who is going to be sitting down and working on the Wake Forest prompts. Anything else you want to add before we uh, wrap the segment up? Uh, Final words of advice for students going to be applying to Wake Forest this fall? No, you know, I think I would just say, again, I would, you know, say read the prompt. Make sure you're answering the question posed, not the question you feel like answering. (laughs) This goes for just about every prompt, I would say, actually. Um, You know, remember that you don't know your audience. And, you know, you might show it to a friend and say, how does this, how does this make me look? You know, is this, is this a good reflection of me? And I think you'll be all set. All right. Wonderful. Karen, thank you so much. Uh, don't go away. We're talking about searching for scholarships while you're in college after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters. 
the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I know that scholarships are top of mind for many students who are going through the college process. And I also know that some students and their parents who are already in college may be realizing that they could use a bit more financial assistance, um, but maybe they're not sure where to turn for that. And that's why I'm so excited to welcome former BU and Harvard financial aid officer and my new colleague here at College Coach, Jan Combs, to the show to tell us all about their options. Welcome, Jan. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So let's get into this. Uh, you know, we're really talking about scholarships for returning students and current college students. Um, a lot of the information that's out there is really tailored to high school students, to, namely to seniors who are looking for scholarships. So I guess my first question for you is, is it even really possible for students who are already enrolled at college to get scholarships? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a common misconception amongst college students that scholarships are only for high school students, but it's quite frankly simply not true, which is the good news. There really are scholarship opportunities for current students, both for upperclassmen and underclassmen. So um, absolutely lots of scholarships out there that can help students pay for their school. So the message is, even if you didn't apply for and receive scholarships as a high school senior, it's not too late to do so as a freshman or a sophomore, or even a junior or a senior in college. Absolutely. Once you're in college, um, students can absolutely find additional scholarships or new scholarships. Um, certainly, there's a number of options for finding scholarships once a student is on campus. I'm happy to go through some of those options with you now. Yeah, that'd be great. I, I mean, I don't even really know where to tell people to get started. So why don't we start with what you would do? Sure, sure. Well, what I would tell people is let's start with the college. So the student is already there. Um, they're familiar. They're on campus. They have, you know, face-to-face access with college offices and the financial aid office. So that would really be the first place to start would be the financial aid office. Um, they absolutely have scholarships for returning students. So it really never hurts to start looking there. 
Be sure to check the college website, um, check in with the financial aid office, and inquire about the different scholarship opportunities that are available. And certainly there are, you know, different colleges have different types of scholarships available, but it's some, some colleges have what are referred to as restricted scholarships, which are typically awarded due to a very specific criteria, such as family legacy, ethnic background, personal demographics, area of study, or some other specific criteria. So restricted scholarships usually come from donors, and the colleges really do want to award the money that donors generously give to them each year for their students. So they're eager to match recipients and award students um, the money that donors nicely give to college. So current students really should be sure to touch base with the financial aid office to determine if they, first of all, have restricted scholarships, mm-hmm. and if so, if they do, really to determine the application process that is in place. So it's definitely always worth asking at the financial aid office. And then other things that come to mind as, you know, as upperclassmen kind of continue their studies and take on new activities, um, they may become eligible for certain scholarships that they weren't initially qualified for. You know, for example, did they take up a musical instrument or start volunteering for a worthy cause or, you know, get get really good grades? Um, have they added additional community service activities to their mix? Um, mm-hmm. Students should definitely revisit the college opportunities regularly as their as, they're, um, as they progress through school and get more involved both on and off campus. So, again, always good to check in with the aid office to see what they have available. And then just know um, where the aid office is putting new scholarship opportunities. Is it on their website? Is it on a bulletin board? You know, just to really check in with them to make sure that they understand the process and won't miss anything. Some aid offices have blogs that kids can follow as well, so they're in the know when a school has something additional. So that's kind of the first step at a college, I would say, that would be the... So basic... Go down to your financial aid office, make friends with a financial aid officer, and really start doing some research there. First place to start. All right. What's another place? Okay. Another place, and I love how you said make friends with, that's just perfect, because another great source of scholarships may be through the academic department at the Mm Susan College. So really, they are a great resource for those kind of academic-related scholarships. So certainly when a student is, you know, an upperclassman, um, scholarships may come through directly to the professors or the individual departments versus the admissions or financial aid offices. So, for example, if you're, if the student is an engineering major and there's an engineering firm that's local that's looking for a student to give a scholarship to, they may very well ask the chair of the engineering department at the college to send them the brightest and hardworking you know, most brightest and hardworking students. You know, Mm -hmm. or a computer science student may hear of a scholarship from their computer programming instructor, for example. So the faculty and academic chairs are really, um, you know, like you said, you know, important folks to make friends with. Um, And they also hear of internship, co-op, and summer job opportunities as well as scholarships. So students definitely um, shouldn't be shy about checking in with their faculty members um, and definitely, you know, feel free to network with them. They're a great, great, great resource. Okay, so that's good. And, I mean, those are people, of course, that students are seeing, hopefully, every day in the classroom. Hopefully. 
Um, so again, this is a really good reason to go to office hours and um, wow. and just become a known entity around those parts because then you become the first person they think of when these opportunities are available. So um, absolutely, what's what's a, a third way that maybe students could be looking um, while they're in college? Sure, you know, another way, and, and again, this is where faculty may help as well, but looking to professional organizations, you know, in order to nurture talent and promote growth of their industries, professional organizations often offer scholarships to students that are mm-hmm. studying in their particular field. So, for example, a large health system or a health professional organization might provide nursing scholarships, for example, to those, in, in, you know, enrolled in nursing programs. There's hundreds and hundreds of professional organizations, certainly ones for every type of study, engineering, health professions, architecture, business, art, computer science, just basically everything. So really students can really, should tap into the professional organizations that are related to their area of study or future career aspirations. So to get started, students can certainly check with professional organizations in their future field or career, uh, contact them to see if they have scholarship programs, get on their email list, follow their blogs, and absolutely ask professors and local business folks related to their areas of study where they have membership in, you know, what organizations they belong to. And so network, network, network again, um, but it's a great source of scholarship opportunities for students as well, you know, directly related to their field and academic study. Gotcha. Okay, so that's a good one. Well, what about, you know, the place where I think a lot of people turn when they look for anything, and that is the internet. Are there still scholarships available through searches they can do on the internet that are for college kids versus students who are just in high school? Sure, absolutely, and that is, you know, another misconception is that these large online databases are just for high school seniors, and it's really not true. Um, there are a number of search engines that are available to students. They're free online databases that can absolutely connect current college students with information on scholarships that are available to them, whether it be related to a certain area of study or a certain set of criteria, um, but absolutely it is available to students. There's a number of databases available out there. I can suggest, I'll suggest two here as popular ones that um, I'm very familiar with, which would mm-hmm. be scholarships.com. Yep. Or, of course, the collegeboard.org under the Paying for College tab. They have their own um, scholarship search engine as well. So either one would be fine for a student um, to use. I actually went on this week just for fun, and I, and I did a search, and I put in there that I was a junior in college as well as all of my criteria, and I got a very long list of scholarships that were available to upperclassmen. In ah, fact, there cool. are some scholarships. Yeah, it's, I was actually thrilled. Um, it, it, it's nice to know that there are scholarships available for upperclassmen specifically. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you missed out on the boat when you were a, a senior in high school and you never searched for scholarships, you know, it's just good to know that not to give up and to kind of revisit the whole process and, and to give it a try now that um, the student is in college. So I absolutely do recommend it. Seek scholarships out by grade. So if the student's mm-hmm. a freshman now, they can certainly go in and check out what's available to sophomores, juniors, and seniors just to get an idea of what's 
available to them in the future and to kind of plan ahead accordingly. So um, definitely, definitely recommend that as well. And when you're looking at these scholarships, are you seeing that there are similar requirements in terms of our students having to write a lot of essays? Uh, is there a lot of data that they have to collect to, as part of the application process? Is it, is it, I guess, as involved as the scholarship process can be when you're uh, still in high school? Is that what you're seeing? You know, it, you know, it is. I'm not, I would never say that, oh, it's so easy to go out yep. and win a scholarship. I, I would never say that. Yes, there is work involved. Mm-hmm. Students definitely need to be diligent. They need to be focused. They need to be very organized. Absolutely. Typically, scholarships, whether you're applying as a high school senior or a freshman in college or an upperclassman, each scholarship application will be involved. There's an application required. In some cases, the student needs to write an essay or a personal statement. Typically, students will have to submit their grades as well. Sometimes a letter of support from a faculty member or employer or coach or other adult that knows them well. So it absolutely is involved. There are certainly many details. Um, and a lot to manage during the process. But people right. have to keep in mind that, the, you know, there's a lot of students applying, and so the scholarship committees need to weed out students and determine, you know, who the best match is for their scholarship. So they are going to collect a lot of information. But, you know, in many ways it's similar to the college admissions process, you know, with right. an application and writing samples. And so students certainly are familiar with the components of the application. But so it can be similar in, in many ways. But Right. Um, and so you know, so yeah. basically I think that underscores the point you are making about, you know, you really need to plan ahead. Students need to be aware there are going to be deadlines. There may be essays that they have to write. So it's not the kind of thing where you're starting your junior year and you're going to suddenly look it up, find the scholarship, apply for it, get it right away. This is the same similar or a similar process anyway. So if you were doing yeah. it in high school, so that's key. Absolutely. Um, yep. What about what about if what if a student has a scholarship um, from their college for their first year, uh, and then they or they get one when they return for their second year? Is this guaranteed that they're going to receive it in future years, or how do you how do you think about that when you're looking at scholarships? Sure. Great, great question. And, and great, um, again, just it, it kind of involves planning. So it's, it's a nice thing for students to think about if they do have a current scholarship to really make sure that it is available for renewal. Now, certainly some scholarships are only granted for one year, but others mm-hmm. can be reissued. The key really is that the scholarship recipients would need to reapply typically each year. But then again, they, you know, they need to, that's if they have the scholarship, that's one of the things they need to ask is, do they need to reapply? How can I get this again? Um, And that's where sometimes college students leave money on the table by not reapplying. So the student absolutely should make a list of any scholarships they have, find out what they need to do to reapply, list the due dates, find out what materials they need to submit, definitely reapply for any scholarships that they currently have. Um, and certainly be very aware of what the requirements for renewal are. Sometimes that's mm-hmm. just, you know, having a certain, maintaining a certain GPA or staying in the same area of academic study as they were in when they were first awarded the scholarship. 
Right. So, right. Bottom line again here is you don't want to take these things for granted. You need to be paying attention. You can't just assume really anything because otherwise, if you do that, you may find yourself uh, out of luck uh, later on when your scholarship isn't renewed, only to find out that that's because you didn't do something. You definitely don't want that. Absolutely. Um, And especially if you have the scholarship, it's just, it's so much easier to renew a scholarship basically by keeping that GPA than it is to go and find new ones. You absolutely want to be extra diligent with the ones that you already have. Yes, absolutely. Agreed. Any, any last um, tips that you want to leave people with or advice around the scholarship search that they're going to go through? Okay. Just to be really diligent. Um, and focused and really revisit the scholarship process. As I said, sometimes your, your, um, what you have to contribute um, can change year to year, so certainly revisit the scholarship application um, and search process. I would say using a combination of, as mentioned before, touching base with the financial aid office, touching base with faculty, touching base with professional um, organizations, and then um, you know, using the outside scholarship search tools as well, using, you know, really the the combination of all those four um, Mm -hmm. really should be the focus of any scholarship search, and it should be done, you know, on an ongoing basis through college and then certainly into graduate school if if that's the path that the student ends up taking. Awesome. Jan, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, We're going to take a break. Okay, good. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Revolution Prep co-owner and co-founder Jake Newberg about the new PSAT. Uh, And we'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Up Close with Chris Tinney is now on Voice America Variety. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, Chris brings you the thought leaders, activists, and socially responsible entrepreneurs taking action for the environment, doing business in a new way, and helping the underprivileged. Call in or listen in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and learn how the small decisions you make today have a big impact on our small planet in the future. Tune in to Up Close with Chris Tinney on the Voice America Variety Channel. Families today face unique challenges. 
Marriage, parenting, and family forms have changed a lot in the last century. Family Matters with Dr. Virginia Collin will focus on building and maintaining healthy family relationships. We will discuss marriage, divorce, family mediation, parenting, lifestyles, and mental health. All kinds of family matters. Our show will feature guest experts and your participation, too. You can listen to Family Matters live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, You may have heard through the grapevine that a new SAT is making its big debut uh, this coming, uh, well, it's sort of in the spring of 2016. But what you might be less aware of is that students are going to get their first look at those changes, courtesy of the new PSAT, um, which they're going to sit for in October. And here to tell us all about it is Jake Newberg from our trusted partner, Revolution Prep. Hi, Jake. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for coming back. You've been on the show a couple times talking about some different things related to standardized testing. And it seemed like a good time to bring you back um, because just next month already, I can't even believe it's already September, um, students are going to have the opportunity to sit for the PSAT. And um, and I thought it'd be a good time to talk about that. So let's start with the basics. Um, What is the PSAT and who should take it? Yeah, great question. So the PSAT is really used for a couple of things. One of them is it's also called the NMSQT, which is a qualifying test for the National Merit Scholarship, which is kind of mm-hmm. a big deal, a prestigious deal. And also, you can make money when you um, score in the top 1% or 2%. So mm-hmm. it's used for that when you take it junior year. Um, but the biggest thing for the other 98 99% of kids is it's just – kind of a practice, a chance yep. to go in under the official proctored environment and take a swing at this PSAT because it's very, very similar to the SAT. And the third thing is colleges buy the list and they start sending you materials about their school. And so it can be great to get on those mailing lists and start getting kids energized and thinking about college. Right, absolutely. The one point I do want to make is that the colleges are not going to see students' individual uh, PSAT scores. These aren't going to be part of the record. It will never be part of your application. So they're going to buy the lists of names of students who took it and scored above a certain level, uh, but they're using that for marketing. They're not using it in any way, shape, or form to determine you know, whether or not you are going to get into their college. So just to Great throw point. that out there. Great point. There's really no downside in taking the PSAT except for the time you invest and the pain you endure um, of <laughs> yes. sitting there for a, a three-hour multiple-choice test. There's really no downside to it. Right. I agree. It's really all practice. I encourage all of my students to do it, uh, some of them even as early as freshman year, but certainly all of my sophomore students. So let's yeah. talk about the fact that this year it's changing. And I would love it if you could talk to us a little bit about how it's changing and why it's changing uh, this year. Yeah. 
So I'll start with the why. You know, I mean, the PSAT is really the partner for the SAT, and it's changing. Um, And so why is the SAT changing? Um, They're changing it to align it more to the common core, which is a major change to American public school curricula in about 38 states in math and English. And um, the real reason for that is they say it's to help students be more college ready and to make the skills that they're learning both in school and thus what's tested on the SAT and the PSAT, those most relevant skills for this 21st century economy. So that, those are kind of the, the headlines of the big reasons of why it's changing is, is to be more relevant. Okay. So how about how it's changing? What are, what are yeah. students going to experience? Yeah, so a couple things. Um, it's a little bit longer, um, which is too bad because it was pretty long to begin with. It used to be just over two hours. Now it's just under three hours. Um, that's one way it's changing. It's much less about vocabulary than it had been in the past. And this is actually the third once-in-a-lifetime change um, <laughs> that the In SAT your lifetime? In my lifetime, right? So I must be three lifetimes old, which some days I feel that way. But (laughs) um, the first change, you know, once in a lifetime change was in the mid-90s. I think it was 94, then in 2005, and now Mm -hmm. in 2016. So um, every 11 years, it goes through a once in a lifetime change. And each time the PSAT and SAT have changed, um, they've become less and less about vocabulary and, and, frankly, what has been criticized as obscure vocabulary, and much more about reading comprehension. And that's a big takeaway I want parents to hear, is that if you want to help your kids do better on the PSAT, the SAT, the ACT, one of the best things you can do with them at any age is get them reading, get mm-hmm. them reading nonfiction, and get them thinking about what's the main idea, what's the primary purpose, what's the author's point of view, because that is a huge part of the PSAT, um, what used to be called verbal, what's really the, the critical reading section now. Even the math has gotten to be more reading intensive. It's gotten to be less about the numbers, um, though obviously there's still a lot of that, but there's a lot more word problems. And a lot of times where kids stumble is changing the words into math. Um, So if you get into the details, a couple other little things, it went from five possible answer choices to four. Um, There used to be a guessing penalty, which we don't have to go into the details of what that is. They're getting rid of that. Those are all things that are actually making it more similar to the ACT, which has been getting more and more popular over the last couple of years. And actually, more kids take the ACT now than the SAT. So that's part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And one final thing is the score. The best score that you used to be able to get on the SAT was a 1600. And so you just took a zero off of that. And on the PSAT, it was a 160. Then they Mm -hmm. changed the SAT 11 years ago and the best SAT score became a 2400. Drop a zero again. The best PSAT is a 240. Well, they're changing the SAT back to 1600. And so you'd think, oh, the best PSAT score is going to be a 160 the way it used to be, but it's not. It's actually a 1520. It's, a, it's at a 760 on the math and 760 on what they're calling the reading and writing, which mm. is weird. Yeah. And it's just chalk it up to the college board 
um, wanting to create kind of a wacky um, score metric, I guess. I, I'm not sure. but the So the SAT max score is going to be a 1,600. The PSAT max score is going to be a 1,520. So That is um, there you go. good to know, and I did not know that, and that is bizarre. Bizarre. <laughs> and will, yeah. I'm sure, no doubt, create lots of, lots of confusion amongst families. And I actually feel like there is always a lot of confusion with families when they get scores back and people are paying attention to percentages and they never know when they're going to get their scores back or kind of what to do with them once they get them back. So I guess let's start with you sit for the test in October. When do students typically get their scores back? Okay, great. Great question. So Students will take the PSAT on Wednesday, the 14th of October. If they can't make it for religious observances or other excused absences, if you will, you can take it again two weeks later on Wednesday, the 28th of October. In the past, there was a Saturday option this year that will not be offered. So um, some schools, as a result, will not be offering the PSAT to sophomores because they don't want to give up a day of school. If that's the case at your school, um, email us, and I'll send you a practice PSAT, and you could take it on whatever day you want. You could take it on a Saturday or whatever. So that's when students take the test. They get their scores back, um, possibly in December, but most likely it's going to be January. Um, so it'll really take three months until they get the scores back. That's when the college board releases them to the school and then quite often the school brings you in and, and talks to you about your scores and so that could take another couple of weeks as they bring in kids one by one and again this is something that I would really encourage students and parents to do they can email me um, and we can set up an opportunity for them to sit down with one of our advisors and go over the score report because it's confusing. It's a couple of pages. There's percentages, there's percentiles, there's raw score, there's scaled score. Um, and a lot of it is just, so what? Another big thing is when students get their scores back, it can be a very demoralizing experience. And this is another one of those big takeaways I want parents to have, is that when your kids get those PSAT scores back, you might hear them say, talking and thinking, God, I'm not as smart as I thought. And Mm -hmm. this test makes people feel that way quite often. It made me feel that way the first time I took it. And that's why we really like getting a chance to sit down with a family right when the student gets their scores because, boy, that's not the case at all. I've seen kids get their scores back and be demoralized. And if they have a good attitude and they have a growth mindset and they look at it and they say, you know what? I'm better than this test, and I can work at it, and I can study, and I can bring my scores up. I've seen their scores go up dramatically. Um, And they don't have to study with us, but they really should study. They need to Mm -hmm. study somehow, buying a book, taking a number of practice tests, reviewing over it. And whether it's from the sophomore PSAT to the junior PSAT, or it's from the PSAT to the SAT, Um, I've seen students' scores really increase dramatically. And so that's, I'd say, one of my biggest takeaways is don't be demoralized. See it as really valuable data on things that you're good at and things you could use a little bit of help and that you're not good at yet. It's not that you're bad at, it's that you're not good at yet. And work on it, get someone that can really help you, and you'll get better at those. 
Right. And I mean, in your opinion, do you see, do you ever look at a student's uh, PSAT scores and hear about the kinds of classes they're in and the grades they're getting and think, boy, the ACT might be a better option for this student? And, And I guess what I'm really asking is, do you think there's any predictive value you can draw from looking at those PSAT scores in terms of whether or not the SAT may or may not be the right test for them or if the ACT would be better? Yeah, I mean, here's how I look at it. Um, the stakes are so high, and the possibility of getting it wrong when you try and guess and predict, um, that what I recommend is just take a full-length practice test in both. And again, someone can email me, Jake at Revolution Prep. They can contact Beth, who can get a hold of me. And we'll give you a free practice test in each. And that's the best way to do it, is just to figure it out. Um, other things that you can look for, though, you know, the ACT has four sections. Only one of them technically is math. So um, versus the SAT, you can say that 50% of it is math, right? One out of two sections. But I think you could say that the science section on the ACT um, is very similar to math. And when we see kids um, do poor on the science section well on the math, those are the easiest points to pick up. So what I've found, to get back to your original question, is just take a practice test in each Sometimes you'd be surprised which one you do better on. And most mm-hmm. kids do very, very similarly on the SAT and the ACT. And that's going to become even more the case as the SAT and PSAT change to be more like the ACT. Right. So it's going to be less and less of, there will be less and less of a difference between the two. All right. So it's yeah. Jake at revolutionprep.com for uh, all right. those people Jake you're inviting to email Prep. you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> email me. For any of these things, if you just want to talk about this stuff, you can hear I'm a total nerd and have no life. I love talking about this stuff. If you want to take a practice test, SAT, ACT, even a PSAT or the SAT subject test, email us. We'll, we'll send you one of those for free. You can take it and just see how you do. Um, and you can, if your kid can't make it to the PSAT this year, um, let us know. We can get you a practice PSAT as well. All right. That's awesome. Jake, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks to you and to all my guests today. Uh, In next week's show, we're going to travel to Canada. Well, I'm not actually going to travel to Canada, but we're going to talk about the Canadian university system from both the admissions and the finance side of things. We'll talk about the differences in the U.S. system uh, and the Canadian system in terms of the admissions process, what to expect as a student, how much more or less expensive the universities really are. I think there are a lot of ideas floating around out there that it's a lot less expensive to go to school in Canada, and that may or may not be the case. Well, we're going to dig into that. Um, We're also going to continue our series on supplemental essays essays with a segment on the University of Notre Dame and the University of Michigan. So both have pretty long uh, supplements. And so we're going to dig into each of those. And so you're not going to want to miss that. But as a reminder, you don't have to listen to all of our shows live. We love it when you listen live. We love it when you call in. But uh, every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. So if you visit iTunes and search for our show, you can actually sign up to have each new show sent right to you. Or you can just go right to Voice America and see all of what we have there. Uh, Get in there. Check out the archives. Uh, We have some particularly timely things right now. We have a bunch of segments on how to approach the Common App prompts. Uh, We talked about the University of Chicago supplement, which is a doozy. Uh, So you might want to check that one out if you're applying to the University of Chicago. We have some stuff about applying for financial aid. 
thoughts about putting together a college list. Everything you need to have a successful application season is on there. Uh, And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.